right into the, uh, the next session in Exodus chapter 20. Now, there's no way that, that we're going to get through everything we want to get through. Obviously, these things are just one message, one moment, one time. If, if you want full discussions on things, everything I know in this earth is over there. And um, everything. And, um, and, it's, and it's all, if it's not over there, don't ask me about it because I just have to go read a book or something. I don't know. I, it's, it's over there. And so if you, uh, you, you want to avail yourself to that, it, it goes to a very, very, very good thing. The profit from it is, goes to help us help other people who can't help themselves. So uh, you really want to do that. Um, the other thing I want to tell you about is something exciting um, that is, is, uh, is coming, um, it's, it's coming this year. Um, one of the things that I felt like we were failing at as a ministry was discipling people. And even though what we said, I get emails, I get 100 emails a month probably saying, Shane, the way you said this changed the way I looked at God, it changed the way I felt about myself, something nice and positive, okay? But at the same time, at the end of the day, I'm here for four days, and, and you won't want to miss any of these four days. I'm, tomorrow night is going to be awesome. It'll be better than tonight. You've got to build it up to something. Um, Saturday for the men's meeting and Sunday morning, Sunday night, it's going to be a great week, okay? Um, but at the end of the day, I'm only here four days. And, and so um, what, what we felt to do was to start a, um, a, a mentoring. Um, so, uh, so what my brother has done is he's developing an online classroom. And, um, and so what we're going to be doing, um, and we put it out there, we just put some feelers out, and the response was so big that um, we had to create something with bigger bandwidth. Um, and so uh, what's, what's going to happen is when it goes live, um, once a month, you're going to get to be mentored by me with Bible school type stuff. And so um, if, if you're interested in that, um, and what it'll be is it'll be an online classroom. And the, the, the most that'll ever be allowed in one classroom is 25 people. So at the very most, it'll be one on 25 and you'll be in there with people all over the world, and you'll get to see me, and, and I'll have, a, I'll have a, a, a scanner pad that I can write, and it'll be like a chalkboard on your, uh, just like this, and um, on your computer screen, and, um, and you'll be able to sit there um, once a month and, um, and be taught uh, really deep Bible school type things. I'm going to teach Hebrew hermeneutics and all kinds of things um, every month, and we'll give you, I'll give you a month's worth of homework, and then you come back, and you and that group of people will journey together, okay? And so that's what we're going to be starting up, but the, the, um, the, the response, the positive response to that has been so big that we had to, we had to put off our kickoff date to, to make it bigger, because the last thing we wanted to do was to kick it off, and then it overwhelm us, and then we have to start over. So I've spent 7,000 U.S. dollars um, uh, developing this, and when it goes live, um, you'll want to know about it. Now, there's two ways for you to know about it. One will be to go to our website, which is on the back of every piece of product, and there's a link there that says, sign me up for Get Connected, okay? And basically, that's a free email magazine that we send out every month, okay? So when it goes live, everybody on that email list will get a notice that this is going live, it's time to register, okay? The other way is, is every per we're going to make it very cheap, okay? Um, every person who is partnering with the ministry um, at more than any, anything, any person that's giving more than $25 a month to the ministry gets in for free anyway, 
okay? So you'll get a username and password, and, and you'll come in, and what we do is we've got to schedule it, and we're going to schedule it based on your time zone. So everybody in New Zealand will be scheduled together, and Australia will be scheduled together, and South Africa will be scheduled together. And so what I'm going to do is, on the days I do it, I'm going to do it at 9, 12, 3, 6, and 9, no matter where I am in the world. That way it covers all the time zones, all right? So um, you'll want to uh, stay up with that, because I'd love to, listen, let me tell you what I don't want to be. I don't want to be your pastor. You have one. I, I, I don't want to make it a place where you come in there and tell me your problems and things like that. Tell Doug your problems. <laughs> I, he cares. Listen, seriously, I mean, listen, if, 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 you've got, if you've got a devil, we want to see you delivered, see Dave, okay? Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> see, see Mike. Um, but if, if we, we want to see that happen for you. But, but for my purposes and what we're going to be doing, I want to be your teacher. Okay? I don't want to be your pastor. I want to be your teacher. So you can kind of keep, keep, um, keep up with that. All right. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. Now we've already established that this is a ketubah. And this is how the ketubah starts. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who has brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, so you will have no other gods before me. Now, let me make some observations about this, that some of them are obvious, some of them are not so obvious. Number one, God is talking. For almost the first time in their history, God is talking. For the first time since they've gotten out of Egypt, God is speaking. God is speaking. He, he relates as Jehovah. The word, he says, I am Jehovah, your God. He relates to them as Jehovah, not as El Shaddai, which was odd. When, when God first started ministering and relating to this family known as Israel, he ministered to a guy named Abraham. Abraham was the grandfather, great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather of this group of people. And he showed up to Abraham and he said, My name is El Shaddai. My name is God Almighty. I want to make a covenant with you. Now that made sense to Abraham. Because Abraham was a sun worshiper during the day and a moon worshiper at night. Now, if you're worshiping the sun during the day and the moon during the night, you're left with one big nagging question, who's in charge? So God shows up and says, listen, I am God Almighty. I'm the one in charge of the moon, sun, stars. I'm the one in charge of all that. And I want to make a covenant with you. Abraham said, why? God said, just because. Just because I've chosen you, not because of anything you've done. You see this pattern with God all the time. Not because of anything you've done or anything you will do. I want to choose you. I choose you, Abraham, to be my person. And Abraham says, sure. Now, God, God is a mystery. And, and so all of us are on this journey to sort of journey to God. None of us will ever figure it out. And God tells us to do things all the time. I mean, listen, anybody who says that they figured God out, they don't realize that they're just Joe and Jane trying to get through life. They're just four-dimensional beings trying to make sense of an infinitely dimensional God. We say things all the time that we think sound good, but they, in fact, they're just stupid. Like, like I mean, you, God would never. What do you mean God would never? God would never do what? Like you figured God out? There's this one scripture that says, this is deep now. You ready? This is really deep. This is in Leviticus. It says, do not touch your own poop. Okay? Which is a really good plan, Right? If you're going to be the light of the world, a city set up of a hill, you can't be known as a group of people who fiddle with your poop, right? <laughs> Doesn't bode well for what God wants us to do, right? I mean, you can't be, you imagine that, that group down, that weird group down at Bay City, they fiddle with their crap. I don't know what the, what is this? They're, 
right? You can't do that. You can't do that, right? But it says, but the Bible says this, and the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel saying, cook food using your poop as fuel. People say, God would never say that, but he did. He did. The Bible says this, do not marry Gentiles and stone prostitutes. So it says stone prostitutes and don't ever marry a Gentile. And the word of the Lord came to Hosea saying, marry that Gentile prostitute. You don't know what God might do. There's this one place in the New Testament where Peter shows up with a barrel of pork rinds. He's got a barrel of bacon. And they say, you can't eat bacon? God said you can't do that. Peter says, Jesus told me I could in a dream. I had a dream, and in my dream, Jesus told me I could eat bacon. (laughs) And we make doctrine out of it. If, If Peter would have showed up now, all the white Pentecostals would be going, God would never say do that. Because we think we figured God out. No, we, just like Moses, just like Abraham, all these guys were just on this journey with God. They they had this sense of all. El Shaddai wanted to speak to Abraham. So Abraham Abraham says, El Shaddai, what do you want me to do? He says, I want you to leave. I want you to leave everything you have. Where do you want me to go? I'm not going to tell you. I just want you to leave. So Abraham goes on a 2,300-mile walk. 2,300 miles. That's a long way, man. 2,300 miles with a 100-year-old wife. Can you imagine? (laughs) Imagine being 100 years old on a camel, 2,300 miles. You get off and all stiff. Along the way, at some point, he said, God, what do you want me to do? God said, I'm glad you asked. You see that rock? Yes. Pick it up. Circumcise yourself with it. (laughs) So the first command God ever gives somebody is the hundred-year-old man. It says, rock, swing hard, don't miss. (laughs) Good Lord. So the first picture you have of God relating to a human being is a hundred-year-old man going, dear God, help me. But you know that gave him the ace of spades. You imagine, like, you imagine a thousand years on the journey, his hundred-year-old wife's like, Abraham, are you sure you know where you're going? I'm sure. You sure? I'm sure. How sure are you? Woman, shut up. I'm so sure I circumcised myself with a rock. <laughs> you win. You're circumcising yourself with a rock? You win. El Shaddai. You see, he, he made a covenant with El Shaddai. Now, this is very important. Because he relates here as Jehovah. He makes a covenant with El Shaddai. So when Abraham has a son named Isaac, Isaac would have said, Dad, who are we in covenant with? His dad would have said, El Shaddai. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Dad, who are we in covenant with? El Shaddai. Jacob has 12 children. Dad, who are we in covenant with? El Shaddai. Those 12 children have 12 children. And all 144 of them say, how many, who are we in covenant with? El Shaddai. Those people then have 12 children. Who are we in covenant with? El Shaddai. El Shaddai. They end up in slavery. El Shaddai. El Shaddai. 430 years. They're in covenant with God Almighty. Finally, God shows up to Moses in a burning bush. And he says, Moses, my name is Jehovah. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And remember what Moses said? Uh Uh-uh. 
the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is El Shaddai. And God says this, I revealed myself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as El Shaddai, but by my name Jehovah, they didn't know me. That this was a further revelation of who God was. This wasn't just God Almighty, this was I am. Later he reveals himself as I am what? I am healing, Rapha. I am provision, Jireh. I am Sidkenu, righteousness. I am sanctification, Mikadesh. I, I am peace, Jehovah Shalom. I, I am your shepherd, Jehovah Rohi. I, 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 am, I am Jehovah Shema, the ever-present one. And so God revealed himself over time with extended revelations of who he was. He couldn't reveal everything he was at once, obviously. That over time, he revealed himself as different revelations and different names. That, that there was these names that, that, that kept being revealed until one place there's a guy named Jesus. And one writer says that in Jesus there was given a name that was above every other name. Whether that name be written in heaven or on earth or under the earth, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. In other words, Jesus is the encapsulation of all the names of God written before. So he's relating as Jehovah. Number three, he identifies himself as their God before they did anything. Number, number four, he declares his deeds for them, but they have not done anything yet. He says, I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of bondage. Which lends ourselves the question, does God expect anything from us? And if he does, what is it? What is God expecting from us? And I would say that, that we could say it a lot of different ways, but I would say it one simply, one, just one simple way. God expects us to respond to his love. Whatever that looks like, God expects us to respond. Uh, essentially, the Ten Commandments starts with this. I've done this for you. What are you going to do about it? How will you respond? The essential question for us tonight is understanding that God wants to be in me despite me. That God wants to marry me leaven and all. To understand that is one thing. To respond to it is a totally different thing. How will we respond? Now, now here's some myths. Here's some myths we have to deal with about the Ten Commandments. These are things that are not true. Number one. God is proposing conditions for his love. No way. You don't propose to someone that you don't already love. This is a marriage proposal. God is proposing conditions to his love. No, he's not. Another myth is this, is God is trying to make us good. God is trying to make us good. Wait a minute, good compared to who? Him? No way. God's not trying to make us good. God is trying to make us free. His whole goal in this was to free people from slavery, to free people what bound them up. Number three, God is offering a list of how to ensure that we are in. That's another myth. This is not a list of things that you do in order to make sure you get to heaven one day. This has nothing to do with any of that. It's not a list of things you do to make sure you're in. He kind of covers that base with the last one. Thou shalt not covet. In other words, don't ever want to do any of the other nine once. <laughs> uh, hello, okay? So where did the idea come from that we, God is good and we are bad? And then we get to impress God by doing good or better. 
Why do we think that our behavior is linked to our acceptance with God? Where did that come from? The idea that, that God listens to my prayer more if I'm a good boy. And he shuts his ears to me if I'm a bad boy. This idea is worldwide through all major religions. It's just in us. Where did it come from? Where do we get the idea that God will listen to our prayers more if I'm behaving? This way, th- listen, this way of thinking has done more to alienate people from God than it has done to connect them with God. And this is why. Guilt is always a temporary motivator. Guilt, there's two big-time temporary motivators. Fear and guilt. Those are very temporary motivators. Fear and guilt. You'll do a lot of things when you get afraid that you wouldn't do under normal circumstances. And you'll do a lot of things when you get afraid that you can never maintain. Guilt's the same way. Am I the only person in the room that's ever made a promise to God at an altar because of guilt that I couldn't keep? Come on. I I remember being at camp one time. And they told us we'd go to hell if we didn't pray 30 minutes a day. So I got scared. And I got guilty. And I promised God that I'd get up at 5 o'clock every morning and pray for an hour. And the first day I was excited about it. I got up. I prayed and read my Bible. And I opened my eye after praying. It was 5.05. I thought, what am I going to do now? I was only 13 years old. Fear and guilt are horrible motivators. God's not, trying to, God's not trying to establish a relationship with fear and guilt. That would be the same as saying, you have to marry me. Whether you love me or not, you have to marry me. No, no, no. God wants to create a relationship out of freedom. He wants to create a, the message of God is exactly the opposite. God's laws and his rules are not conditioned for relationship. They're confirmation that he wants us to have the best life. Let me make two observations about that. Number one. You could tell a lot about a person by the rules they establish. You could tell a lot about a person by the rules they establish. You actually train people how to treat you. You do. You set boundaries. One of the Hebraic definitions of hell is a boundaryless place. So in other words, if we're living in a circumstance where someone can treat me any way they want and with no repercussion, that's called hell. That's called hell. It's a boundaryless place. It's a boundaryless place. I've been here enough now that I would consider the staff here my friends. I would consider the staff here my friends. And we treat each other with a lot of humor, a lot of joke telling. You think we're doing spiritual things. We're not. We're not. Our whole life is spiritual, but we're up there telling jokes, okay? And we tell jokes and we do a lot of things like that. And when it's time to pray, it's time to pray. But we, we, have a, we have a good relationship. But all of us treat each other with a certain amount of respect, I would never disrespect Doug from up here. Why? Because he wouldn't tolerate it, nor should he. I would never, it's, 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 you could tell a lot about me by what I tolerate from other people. You could tell a lot about me. You could tell a lot about how I think about myself. You could, th- you could tell a lot about how I think about you and how I care about the environment in the room. Listen, if this helps anybody tonight or with this, let me tell you something. That, that the, what you allow to take place in your home tells me a lot about you. If you allow tension and anger and screaming and yelling and abuse to take place in your home and let your kids see it, it tells me a lot about you. It tells me you don't think much of yourself. And you ought to stand up, get your head up, get your shoulders back. And I'm not talking about be ridiculous. I'm talking about have sensible boundaries around what people do with you. You could tell a lot about, you could tell a lot about a person by the rules they establish. Basically, essentially, God's saying in the first commandment, I want a relationship with you more than anything in the world, but I'm not going to be number two. That's fair enough. He says, and remember, 
I got you out of Egypt. Remember, I'm going to keep doing this the rest of your life. It's not like I'm giving you a free ride here. I just want to be number one. You could tell a lot about a person by the rules they establish. Number two, you could tell a lot about a person by the people with whom they establish rules. You don't set boundaries with people until there's a legitimate relationship in place. You just don't. Can you imagine being on a first date, just having a cup of coffee somewhere, and you say, now listen, let me just set some rules for our relationship. You'd think that was weird. You, I mean, you'd think, wait a minute, we're, we're not even close to there yet. I, I, don't even know, I don't even know what you do for a living. I don't know your mother's name. I, I, don't, I don't know if you have children. I don't, know, I don't know what you like, what you dislike, and you're talking about rules? No, 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 no. See, once you get to a, per, once you get to a place where you have a relationship with someone deep enough to establish rules, it tells me a lot about you. It tells me a lot about you. I can, I can tell almost everything I need to know about you with a couple of things. The questions you ask and the stories you tell. The questions you ask and the stories you tell reveal your values and they reinforce your values. I can tell a lot about what I need to know about you by what you tolerate from other people. And I can tell a lot about what, what, what I need to know about you by who you have a deep enough relationship with to have rules. So this tells you a lot about God. These 10 statements tell you a lot about God and what his heart is for us. So a couple things. What is God trying to accomplish here with this statement? I am the Lord your God. Have no other gods before me. Number one, he is initiating a proposal of marriage. We talked about that in the first session. He's initiating a proposal of marriage. Number two, He's offering a group of slaves the chance to be human and have their dignity restored. He's saying, listen, 430 years, you've lost your dignity. I'm going to teach you how to gain it back. We're going to create a culture where everyone has the basic dignity in the image of God that, that, that I intended. And this is going to be so good, the whole world's going to want what we have. Number three, he is establishing a community of people who can one day bring forth Messiah. So he's trying to set the ground rules in place to have a culture in place that one day Messiah would come forth out of it. Salvation would come to the whole world because of this. Number four, he's establishing the kind of life in a group of people so that the world can see what God looks like. That ultimately in this, he wants me and he wants you to show the girl at KFC what he looks like even when she messes up your order. He wants me when, when someone cuts you off in busy Hastings traffic. When someone cuts you off in busy Hastings traffic, how do you respond? Do you point your finger at the sky? Call them number one? Or, 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 do, or do we show the world what God looks like? There was a, um, an email that was sent around, and I never read those, but the person who sent it never sends it, so I decided to read it. And it was a story about this, this lady, she was following really close behind this car, and, um, and there was this, and the car, um, it was at one of those red lights, and, and it was a moment where the light turns yellow, and if you stop, you're not wrong, and if you go through, you're not wrong, one of those. She decided, I mean, the guy in front decided to stop, and she was obviously in a hurry, and she was going crazy. She was swearing at him out, the, I mean, pointing her finger at the sky. She was doing everything, and about that time, um, this this police officer came up. She didn't see him, and she knocked, he knocked on the window. And um, he takes her out of the car, puts her in handcuffs, takes her to jail. Two hours later, he comes and gets her out of the cell. He said, I'm very sorry, ma'am. I thought you stole the car. She said, why would you think I stole the car? 
He said, well, I saw the fish on the back, and I saw the, bump, the what would Jesus do bumper sticker, and the follow me to Sunday school license plate holder, and then I saw how you were acting, and I thought you stole the car. <laughs> how does the world perceive us? We are meant to show the world what God looks like. We're meant to show the world what God looks like. The message is that now, here's the message of the Ten Commandments in a nutshell in the first verse. The message is that now that the relationship is established, I want you to live in peace and joy. I want you to have my way of living so that others will see who that I am. So that others will see who that I am. I'll read that one more time. That now that the relationship is established, I want you to live in peace and joy. I want you to have my way of living so that others will see who I am. It's not just about you. Jesus said it this way in John 17. He said, he said, Fathers, you are in me and I am in you. Let them be in us so that the world might believe. It's all about showing other people what God looks like. Two real observations before we get into the next big thing. Rules never establish relationship. Never. Relationship establishes relationship. Rules maintain it. You never, you never establish a relationship with rules. You establish a relationship with love. And then rules maintain it. Boundaries maintain it. This was a huge concept. God chose to be their God before they did anything. Now I want to show you the first line of the Ten Commandments in Hebrew. This, this, is, this is the first line. Here it is in English. I am the Lord your God. In Hebrew, it's three words. Anarchy. Jehovah. Elohim. Anarchy, Jehovah, Elohim. The interesting part is this, is that you can say that sentence with just two words. Jehovah Elohim. I am the Lord your God. There's a hidden word in there that doesn't get translated. And it's actually the first word of the ketubah God is writing to his people. I want to show you this. This will open up the heart of God really big to you. The first word of the Ten Commandments is the word anarchy. Four Hebrew letters. Aleph, Nun, Ket, Yod. Aleph, Nun, Ket, Yod. Now, now the, uh, the Hebrew language was originally pictures. It wasn't letters like we talk about. It was pictures. So every Hebrew letter is a picture. Therefore, every Hebrew word is a comic strip. Okay? Let me give you the pictures. Erase this. The olive is the picture of an ox head going into a yoke. It connotates authority. Now remember, the people he's speaking this to, slaves for 430 years. And the first word of his marriage contract with them is anarchy. 
First letter is authority. Noon is the picture of fish multiplying. It has to do with multiplication or increasing or an increase. The ket is the picture of a fence or a hedge. It means to protect or to separate or like a boundary fence. So the idea of boundaries is in the first word. The idea of multiplication is in the first word. And the idea of authority is in the first word. The yod is the picture of an upraised hand. It's the first word of the word, it's the first letter of the word Judah or Judah, which means to praise. The upraised hand is to praise or submit. Like if someone points a gun at me, I submit. If God, if God wants my attention, I submit. I praise. It's an upraised hand. So that was praise or submission. Anarchy. So you have the ox head, which connotates authority. You have fish multiplying, which connotates increase or multiplication. You have a fence or a hedge, which connotates protection or separateness or that kind of thing. And then you have a yod, which is an upraised hand, which connotates praise and submission. Now I want you to get this. Here is a group of slaves for 430 years. God is at the ketubah stage of his marriage proposal to them. He is going to make a marriage contract. They would have been waiting diligently to hear what is his marriage contract. Now, there is a law in Hebrew hermeneutics called the law of first mention. What it means is, is whatever's mentioned first sets the stage for every other mention of it. This is true of everything in the whole Bible, okay? So the first word of something means the most. This is the first word of the Ten Commandments. A group of slaves for 430 years, and this is the comic strip on it. Your authority is going to increase inside the hedge of praise and submission. Your authority is going to increase inside the hedge of praise and submission. Anarchy, Jehovah, Elohim, I am the Lord, your God. Your authority is going to increase inside the hedge of praise and submission. Maybe you didn't hear me. Your authority is going to increase inside the hedge of praise and submission. I and the Lord, your God, have no other gods before me. Your authority is going to increase inside the hedge of praise and submission. Y'all listen, the Ten Commandments starts with grace. The Ten Commandments starts with God giving people something that they did not earn, nor did they deserve. Anarchy. Anarchy. And maybe our whole life would find greater success and fulfillment if our whole life was a life's response to anarchy. Let's, let, let, let's, um, let me just give you a summary statement of, of what I've just said. This, this, is a, this is a Shane Willard message translation exegesis of Exodus 20, verse 2. Okay, it says, I am the Lord your God, that one. Okay, this, is, this is the way I wrote it. I am the Lord your God who is choosing to bless you with freedom from slavery, not because of anything you've done, 
but because I love you and want all the people of the world to know that I am a loving God. Welcome to being human again. That is the first line of the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who is choosing to bless you with freedom from slavery, not because of anything you've done, but because I love you and want all the people of the world to know that I'm a loving God. Welcome to being human again. So my question for us tonight is this. How will we respond to anarchy? How will we respond to that? How will we respond to God's choice there? Anything that brings joy and fulfillment is contagious and must be shared. Something about joy cannot be bottled. It has to be shared with others. We immediately invite others in on our joy. Let me give you some examples. Why is it that ugly babies are still cute? And at what age does a cute, ugly baby just become an ugly person? Because we all know that it's there. Let's be honest. There, there, there's a critical juncture where you hope that this ugly baby that everybody thinks is cute becomes really cute before they pass the age of, no, that's just ugly. But ugly babies are still cute. Why? Because they're called a bundle of joy. It has to be shared. Crying babies are still cute within reason. Why is it the first thing we say when we see a newborn baby? Isn't she cute? Isn't she something? Well, here's another example of joy happen to be shared. Women who get an engagement ring. They're not thinking about the instructions of the Apostle Paul, that you're signing up for a life of pain. <laughs> they just have an engagement ring. And what do they do? They walk in the room, and even their attempts to hide it makes it obvious. And before they know it, they're walking in. <laughs> Why? Because they have to share their joy. They have to share their joy. How about it when men, when men get a new truck? <laughs> With the V8. What do we do? We pull up. You've got to see my new truck. And what's the first thing we do? We don't get in the car for a test drive. What do we do? We pop the hood. Look at that engine. Nine out of ten of us have no idea what we're looking at. But it's big. Sounds powerful. Joy has to be shared. My question to us is this. Is this why God created us? To share his joy. Maybe his joy got so full in himself that he had to create someone to share it with him. He couldn't share it with somebody that's not in his image or in his likeness. So maybe you are a result of God needing to share his joy. When we have real encounters with God, we want to spread it to others. I want everyone to know my God. What would happen to our church, Bay City? What would happen to it if church was not attending an event? What if, it, what if it is a life who is committed to turning the world upside down? What would happen if our church became one giant response to anarchy? What would happen if, if instead of trying to know more things about God, what if we just chased him? And the things, what if we were responding to God's desire for anarchy with us by providing anarchy for everybody else. 
What, what we make happen for others, God makes happen for us. God wants to increase our authority inside the hedge of praise and submission. What would happen if we created that for other people? What would happen to church if it became that instead of a gathering of people who complained about the volume of the music? What if it became that instead of a gathering of people who complained about where they happened to park? What would happen if it became a gathering of that instead of people who were complaining about what was coming off the pulpit? What would happen if our life actually became a whole big response to anarchy? That what would, what would happen is we'd have a group of people committed to turn the world upside down, to helping the poor, to calling in the middle of the night and saying, I'm not going to make it, to being authentic and safe, to giving. It's life's response to anarchy, Yahweh, Elohim. Wow. You look through history, and the greatest people in the world were people who were willing to die for anarchy. Peter, they tell us, died by being crucified upside down. And it resulted in one of the biggest revivals in the world. In Fox's Book of Martyrs, it talks about Philip and the way he died. Philip was in a town called Heropolis, and Caesar built these columns in the town. And what he said was, is you have to walk through those columns to pay homage to me as God. And Philip walked around the columns. He wouldn't go through them. So the authorities of the city brought him and his family out. And they said, you're going to walk through those columns. He said, I will not. He had six children. They took the youngest and killed it. He said, now you'll walk through. He said, I will not. And the story goes that his children screamed out, dad, dad, don't do it. God is worth more than that. And one at a time, they killed Philip's children. Then they got to his wife. And she said, don't do it. God's plan for these people is worth more than you giving in now. And they killed her. Then they got to him. And he said, kill me if you like. I won't walk through. They said, we're not going to kill you. We're not going to kill you. We're going to let you live with the fact that your family died. That was Philip. One of the greatest revivals ever to happen happened after that. And the story goes that the Roman platoon who was in charge of the killing actually came to Philip later and said, you must serve the one true God. Tell us about him. And Philip led every one of those people who killed his family to the Lord. Wow. And later they came back to him and they said, can we call you dad? We took your children away from you, but we'd like to be your children now. Well, we, can we call you dad? And he said, absolutely. I did it so that you could have anarchy. That the church will find its greatness in making a life's response that makes our whole life about responding to God's offer to increase our authority inside the hedge of praise and submission. That we don't get authority by aggressiveness. We don't get authority through demands. We actually gain our authority through being generous and serving and kind, and compassionate, and gracious, and slow to anger. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. Have no other gods before me. That is the message of the Ten Commandments. Let's pray together. And Lord, we honor you, and we thank you for who you are. And we, we proclaim that you are king of the universe, and you are God, and we are not so we give you our life again, afresh and anew. We respond. We respond to your offer of anarchy. 
Just right now under your breath, why don't you have a response to God? Tomorrow night I'm going to pray for some people. We're moving the spirit some. And Clark Taylor's my spiritual dad, so we can do that. But tonight I want you to have your own personal response to God. I want you right now where you're sitting, just between you and God, I want you to say something like, thank you for getting me out of slavery. Why don't you just become aware right now where you are? Why don't you become aware of where would your life be if God hadn't touched you? It's very important to remember where we came from. Where would you be if God hadn't touched you? Lord, thank you for your offer of anarchy. Thank you for your offer to increase us inside the hedge of praise and submission. Now right now I want you to respond to God. I want you to respond with two things. Number one, I want you to ask him, Lord, how can I make that happen for someone else? Lord, give me a name. Give me a name of someone I need to call, even tonight. And encourage them, bless them, pray for them. Give me some people I need to feed. Give me some naked people I need to clothe. Maybe I, need to, maybe I need to write an extra check and, and, and help some people in Africa. Maybe that's what I need to do. I need to make anarchy happen for somebody else. How can my life be a response to anarchy? Would you respond to God tonight? Sir, would you respond to God tonight? Ma'am, would you respond to God tonight? He's done it for you. How will you make it happen for others? How will you let the world know what God looks like? How will you respond? What are you going to do about it? Anarchy, Jehovah, Elohim. Would you stand with me? We don't have a band here tonight or anything, but I want your second response to be personal to you and God, yet out loud. This is the last thing you'll hear from me tonight. Now I'm going to turn it back over to Doug. I bless you tonight to know that you serve a God who believes in you more than you believe in Him. I bless you tonight to know that you serve a God who reached down and got you out of slavery before you did anything to deserve it. I bless you tonight to remember that and never forget it and be merciful and kind to other people. I bless you tonight to know that you're meant to show the world what God looks like. I bless you tonight to know that you're meant to show the world what it's like when a person develops their whole life as a response to anarchy. I bless you tonight with an awareness that he's the best God. You don't need another God. Have no other gods before him. None. None. Now the way I'd like to close this out tonight, I'm going to step off the stage. And when I do, I'd like you to just spend one or two minutes, maybe just one, just one minute, out loud beginning to thank God. You want to do it in the Spirit, do it in the Spirit. If you want to do it in English, do it in English. But whether you do it in English or do it in the Spirit, do it loud. God bless you real good. I'll see you tomorrow night at 7. I promise you I'll honor your time. I told you, I got you out 20 minutes early. I promise you I'll honor your time. And I promise you, you'll never forget what you learned tomorrow night. And you'll never be the same again. Don't miss tomorrow night to stay home and watch CSI. Let me tell you the end. Grissom gets the bad guy, okay? He always does. He's clever, that Grissom. You come out here tomorrow night prepared to learn and expand and come more into the image of our God. God bless you real good. I'm going to step down now. I want you to spend one minute worshiping our God, and then Doug will take over.